a few weeks ago, in preparation for this sermon series, Jesus, the Life, Light, and Love, we're working through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we found ourselves today resting in these passages. And just by word of disclaimer, you know, you kind of always have these grandiose plans whenever you stand up here to preach, and we come up with a calendar and all these sorts of things, but in preparation, and because I believe that this passage is is so important for us to hear as a church, I'm actually going to be spending about three to possibly four weeks uh, looking at these very same verses. Um, I had page after page after page after page of sermon written here for this morning, and just I've decided to condense that down and then break it up so that we can it can be more palatable and that we can handle uh, this truth because of how important it really is for us in this current age and in this current church that we find ourselves called Mission Church. And so this is very much for you guys who are very versed with the Bible and maybe versed with even these passages. Um, This is very introductory. I'll be coming back to uh, a lot of these points over the next four weeks as we look at this particular passage. When we start this off in verse 18, John, once again, the pastor in the church of Ephesus, is, is showing his relationship with this church there. If you remember, back in the book of Acts, we learned that a man named Paul plants this church, and then later on we'll send Timothy to pastor this church. And then several years later, John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, finds himself in an elderly man, but is also now the pastor of this church that is in Ephesus. And so John writes them as children once again to show this relationship, to show this this mentoring, this leadership, uh, this companionship, this discipleship that he has with this church. And he starts out with this statement called children. It is the last hour. Now, immediately, for those of us who grew up in church, you've just heard me in the matter of the last five minutes mention the last hour and Antichrist. And some of you are already freaking out. You're expecting me to have charts of dragons and images of who the Antichrist is. Um, Maybe you grew up in that way. I grew up going to a more charismatic uh, type of church. And I remember in children's ministry being told one day about this person named the Antichrist that wasn't going to allow my parents to buy groceries unless we got a special mark on us that allow us to go to Kroger then or Walmart and buy some groceries. And I remember being scared to death. Do you want to know Jesus after hearing a message like that? Absolutely. Every time they started talking about the rapture, the Antichrist, the last hour, the mark of the beast, any of those sorts of things, I was scared to death. And definitely Jesus sounded like a much better option for me. There is none of that today. Okay, I don't have any charts. I don't have any predictions. Um, I actually believe that to focus on those sorts of things is to miss the point that John is actually talking about. Okay, but he says he this is the last hour. What what does that mean? It means this: um, there was a time before Jesus was in the incarnated form, right? We usually typically call this the Old Testament. And all of the Old Testament was before he came, but it's all telling about who coming, about this Jesus coming. And then guess what happens? We celebrate Christmas every year. That is the incarnation of Jesus, that he has come, right? But since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this has historically been known as the last hour. That we are in the end of days. Now, will the last hour have a last hour? Absolutely. Will the end of days have final days? Absolutely. But you need to understand that the disciples of Jesus and the early church fathers and mothers um, all believed that they were in the last days. They believed that Jesus could come back at any moment. And likewise, as a church, we believe those same things. That this timing of Jesus' return could literally be at any moment. That'd be really cool if it could happen like right now while we were all here. This is where I would like for Jesus to find me um, when he comes back is, is with you. 
Um, but we, we see the importance of this. And so John is saying, though, that in these last time periods or in this last hour since the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, that we can have some clues that we are actually in that time. So that's why he starts out by saying, children, it is the last hour. And then he continues on. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. The last hour. So let's talk just a little bit about this idea of the Antichrist. I'm not here to say that there's no such thing as a capital A Antichrist. Um, I actually... Um, have some thoughts about it, but that, again, is not the main driver of this passage. John does allude that there is this idea of a singular antichrist that has either come or that is coming. So we see that inside of this scripture, and yet he's got something that is uh, more alarming. It's not this idea of just a singular antichrist, this figure, but that there are many Antichrist. Now, what's interesting as well from you Bible nerds out there is the word Antichrist is only used by this guy named John. And if you want to know the passages that talk about the Antichrist, guess where you'll find those? First and I believe second John. Paul doesn't talk about this idea or use this terminology of Antichrist. Jesus doesn't use this terminology of Antichrist. And even in the book of Revelation that John writes, The term isn't really used. It's used about six times, and it's found inside of these letters. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't exist, or more importantly, that they don't exist. There can be other terms that can be used for such people as this. Throughout the world and its history, there have been, according to the Scripture and according to this passage, there are many antichrists. There's not just one, but there are many of these characters. And um, many of these characters, the Antichrist, are are types of shadows or types of the possibility of a singular, large A Antichrist. Okay? They have, as the Bible would tell us, the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist can draw up, like I said, all sorts of of images for those of us who have grown up in the church. But but technically, the word Antichrist in its original form can mean, yes, against Christ, but often means something um, in replace of or counterfeit of. All right? And I believe that that's the terminology that, that John is getting at here. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that we need to understand from this passage and that we learn from the whole passage as a whole is this, that the Antichrist denied the biblical Jesus and sound doctrine. The Antichrist, the many of them, and guess what? They were not only taking place during the time of the scripture, but even in 2020, there are many Antichrist, as we're going to see over the next several weeks. Antichrist deny the biblical Jesus and sound doctrine. Now, before Jesus even goes to the cross and is, is, and is resurrected, he foreshadows or foretells this picture of these, these false teachers, of these people who will come against the biblical Jesus and come against the biblical teaching of Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 verse 11 will say, and many false prophets will arise to, and lead as, many astray. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. We see this image. Jesus, again, before he is dead, buried, and resurrected, is is warning the early church. He's warning those early church planters, those early disciples, those early pastors that, hey, guess what, fellas, that there are going to be false prophets. And they're going to rise up within your ranks. And they're going to lead a lot of people astray. They're going to lead a lot of people 
away from me. They're going to convince a lot of people to go away from me. They're going to seduce a lot of people away from me, the Christ, away from Jesus. I think that's Jesus' way of telling us, without using John's terminology, that these are anti-Christ, that there are a plurality of anti-Christ, that there is a plurality of, of, of lawlessness, of false teachers. This is a really interesting issue within the life of the congregation. These antichrists will sow doubt and confusion. They, again, are counterfeit Jesus is. You don't make something counterfeit that doesn't exist in reality, do you? A counterfeit is always a a, a, a twisted, a blurred version of something that is real. And that's what these antichrists are. Many of them, in the case of the church at Ephesus, have risen up in the ranks within the church and, and they deny the realities of the biblical Jesus. Just like Jesus had the forerunner of John the Baptist, right? He's the guy that was preparing the way. He was in the wilderness wearing really weird clothes, looked like a wrestler probably, eating locusts and wild honey, and he's calling people to repent. And the Old Testament tells that there will be this character that will come before the Messiah, right? Just as Jesus had the forerunner of John the Baptist, there appears to be many forerunners in the form of these antichrists, these counterfeit Christ, these false teachers, these men of lawlessness before the antichrist. They're liars. They're deceitful. They're smart. They're very cunning. They're, they're calculated in their approach. They're extremely attractive. They have charisma. They have woo. They have the ability to, to draw a crowd and to get listeners and to get followers. They have a way of being very convincing in their speech. In many ways, they're good leaders. Yet, they, these antichrists, are people who teach a distorted version of Jesus. These are are people who often profess to be a follower of Jesus. Yet, teach Christ that is not the Christ reflected in Scripture. They don't always oppose Jesus, but rather redefine him and his teachings. I've got a, a good friend here with today. I won't bust him out. Dino, he's sitting right over here. He's one of my leadership students, and, and I love this young man very much. And, um, and, and Dino can tell you, as you guys have heard here today, that uh, in my teaching up at Western, I, I do this religion survey with my college freshmen, of which Dino was one of, of these characters um, at that time. And... In, in teaching that class and, and giving out this survey, what's interesting about it is, is how many, of, as I've shared with you before, of how, how many of my students are professing to be followers of Jesus, and yet when you continue to ask them questions about this Jesus, it does not match the biblical Jesus. See, this is the trap of our culture. It's the trap of our society is that they have created this idea of Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Well, yes. Are you saved? Absolutely. Man, I love this Jesus. And yet when you, when you press into that Jesus, you, you quickly realize that, man, it is a shadow. It's a blurry version of the biblical Jesus. And if you begin to speak about the biblical Jesus to these folks, to these friends of ours, to these neighbors of ours, to these family members of ours, to these churchgoers of ours, you, you will quickly realize that they're not cool with that Jesus. They're not cool with the biblical Jesus. But they're fine of the Jesus of their own imagination. See, many world religions, brothers and sisters, do not oppose Jesus. In Hinduism, Jesus is a holy man, enlightened man, And Jesus, one of the thousand, if not millions, of their gods. 
Jesus in Buddhism is an enlightened man who reached a high stage within the system of Buddhism. Even in Islam, who is Jesus? Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is a prophet before Muhammad. He's a wise teacher. And Jesus will return as a Muslim to revive Islam on the earth. And yet they believe that he was just a man and that he was not God. In Judaism, the current state of Judaism is, who's Jesus? Jesus is a Jew. Jesus is the son of Mary. Jesus is a teacher. Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus died on the cross, however, was not God and was not the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. I don't know if there is a better group of moral people on the planet than the Mormons. Like him or hate him, we just saw Mitt Romney, who is a a Mormon, make a very political move based on what? His faith. And yet, what do Mormons believe about Jesus? They believe that Jesus was the spirit-filled brother of Satan. That he was a created being and that he is not God. Our friends and neighbors who are Jehovah's Witnesses, what do they believe about Jesus? Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah. That's their name for God. And, And ultimately, as the archangel Michael, before the physical world existed... And is a lesser, though mighty, God. He was born as a mere human, but not God in the flesh. They believe that Jesus was resurrected spiritually, but not physically. And that Jesus actually came back in 1914. A whole lot of Jesus there. You're not going to find very many people opposed to Jesus. Even people who worship other gods will be cool with Jesus. And, and this is all the murmurings of the Antichrist system. It is a caricature of Jesus. It is a Antichrist. It is a counterfeit Jesus, and yet this is very rampant within our world. Again, if you talk to these people, they're, they're, many of them are, are great people. They're loving people. They believe that you and I are worshiping the same God, and yet they don't believe the same things about Jesus that you and I should believe. That is the crux of the argument, ladies and gentlemen. That is the crux of the division. Is who is this Jesus. And inside of of this congregation, this is what is taking place, and, and likewise is what is taking place inside of our world today. See, there are, are many cults, false teachers, who still claim to be what? They claim to be Christian. They appear to be Christian, but they are not. Many of them talk about Jesus, but once again, it is not the biblical Jesus. People who do not believe that salvation is by Christ alone. This is the Antichrist. There are no ways um, to God, or, 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 or there are many ways to God. Both of those are Antichrist. See, the centrality of Jesus is removed as the central figure in all of human history. It's, it's not, you can be cool with Jesus and be cool with all of these other things. There are even these combinations that are out there that like I'm a, um, a Muslim Catholic Buddhist and, and all of these sorts of titles that people now give themselves. But brothers and sisters, let us be very, very careful as these people deny the the fullness of Jesus as both human and the fullness as Jesus as God. Those are closed-handed issues within the church and within the Scripture. As we often mention here, we have closed-handed beliefs as Christians. These are things that make us a Christian. These are non-negotiable. These are things that we fight over. And then there are open-handed issues like the color of carpet, the type of style of, of worship music that we sing. All, all of these sorts of things are very debatable, open-handed issues. But, but one of the things that we must believe to be Christian is to believe that God is fully, or Jesus is fully God and fully man.
No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Jesus will also go on to say that me and the Father are one. Who is this Jesus? And yet these antichrists will deny the biblical Jesus and they will simultaneously pick up behaviors and beliefs from the world because they love the world, according to 1 John, and try to, to mesh this idea of the person and work of Jesus with a new cultural understanding of Scripture and what sin is. We'll talk some more about that next week. See, brothers and sisters, people often get caught up in a global antichrist when the warning of this scripture is a local antichrist. So if you remember guys like Hitler, many of them said that they, that dude's the antichrist. Uh, there was a belief that Richard Nixon was the Antichrist. There was a, a belief that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. There's a belief that the Pope was the Antichrist. There's the belief that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. And definitely Trump is the Antichrist, right? Um, and, and yet the, the Scripture is, is not in this idea and is never encouraging to try to plan out the day and the time and, and who this figure is. The warning is... Is not trying to look at who this character is from a global perspective, but, but the idea and the warning that John is getting at is, is again, not saying that there's not this singular antichrist, but, but rather John is warning this local church, the church that he pastors, against the antichrist in the local church. The one sitting on the pews next to you. The one standing on the stage. that they have the potential to be the Antichrist. So how do we know who the Antichrists are within our church? First thing is they deny the biblical Jesus and they deny sound doctrine. The second thing that this passage is going to tell us is that the Antichrists depart from the church. That the Antichrists depart from the church. In verse 19, what does it say, tell us this morning? It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not us. Now, before anybody goes there, this passage is not speaking about people who just simply leave the church. This, this passage, and let's be really frank, we, we have a commitment issue within the local body and the local church, and that's another sermon for another day. But this passage is not just speaking about uh, the reasons why people leave the church, and let's be really frank this morning, the reasons why most people leave a church, it's for unbiblical reasons. It typically is something selfish. They don't like something, or it doesn't fit their, their, their needs the best. And it's a selfish motive to leave the church. Okay? But it happens. It's a reality. There are biblical reasons to leave a church, though. And again, that's not what this passage is speaking about. This passage is, is speaking directly to this idea of how do we know who these antichrists are. And ladies and gentlemen, let's be very careful here as well, because even when we say that this passage, that it doesn't mean that they're altogether leaving Jesus from their viewpoint, or that, that they're leaving church altogether, because what they may do is go across the street from your very building. And establish a new one. One that fits their picture of Jesus. And one that fits their social norm. These people with inside of the church at Ephesus have left the church. And John is trying to reiterate to this small group that is left. Here's the deal. They were never really a part of us. 
Yes, they may have sat on a pew next to you. They may have sung those songs. They may have even carried a, a, a membership card with them. They may have given to the offering, participated in communion. They may have even wore t-shirts saying how much they love the church and posted things about the church on their social media. They may have, in all these ways, carried themselves as, as a people who, who seemingly loved Jesus and loved the church. And yet John is saying to them, they're not really a part of us. That they themselves are preaching a counterfeit Jesus because they are themselves false converts. They are counterfeit Christians who wholeheartedly believe that they're saved. The most difficult person to, to reach with the gospel is the person who believes that they're saved. Had lots of those conversations with people and they're the most difficult ones to share Jesus with because they got Jesus the problem is is the Jesus that they got is not the Jesus of Scripture and the salvation that they have is not the salvation that is painted inside of Scripture isn't it interesting this morning though where did the, these Antichrists come from they did not come from outside they came from inside. They left us. See, Antichrist is, is not out in the world. Antichrist are inside of the local church. They claim to be Christian, yet deny close-handed uh, or, or yet deny these close-handed truths about Jesus and about his teachings. Remember, years and years and years before. Um, John was the pastor at Ephesus, the original church planter. Paul said this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which is obtained with his own blood. I, I know that after my departure, get this, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. However many years after that was written, 30, 40, something like that years, what's happened at this church? Those very things. This one once thriving gospel centered Jesus loving community is now in great turmoil and is is dividing as as people whom were once in leadership once trusted people once you know some of the best Christians in the community have left it because they now have this superior knowledge about Jesus or this superior knowledge about what is and is not sin and and so it's it's leaving that that small huddle going man what is, what is going my my faith is shaken because these people have left and and what they believe I don't see inside the scripture what they're saying about sin I don't see inside the scripture but is there something I'm missing? Am I the broken one here? Are they right? Come back next week and we're going to talk more about the effects of when that happens inside of our lives and the shocking, the, just the gut punch to our faith. Brothers and sisters, the greatest danger in the life of the church is not the gun-wielding terrorist. The greatest danger is often the person with the spirit of an antichrist carrying a Bible. The danger is not people often running out and becoming atheists, though that does happen. Or people leaving the church and becoming agnostic. That does happen, which again, we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks here. The, the danger is a person who is lost and unsaved. Wielding their influence within the church to lead many people astray. They, they wear sheep's clothing, but they're really a wolf. 
And sometimes it can be really hard to tell who the wolves are. Sometimes they're MC leaders, sometimes they're pastors, sometimes they're song leaders, they're children's workers. And they're wolves. And they will often get influence within the church and can quickly lead people astray. How many of you guys have ever been evangelized by a person who attends another church trying to convince you to come to their church? I'm not saying that that person is a wolf, but do we understand how dangerous that is? Where the personality of a congregation or of a pastor can be so compelling I mean, I've literally had people look at me in, in years ago and say things like, oh man, I cannot believe that you go there. You should really come to my church because we're much better. See, that sounds like a church built upon a personality. It sounds like a church built around a style. It doesn't sound like a church built around the person of Jesus. And yet that's our temptation, is to call that evangelism. Mission Church, please don't do that. Especially if it's a gospel-centered, Bible-believing. Now, whenever people leave Mission Church, not because they're anti-Christ, but just because of whatever reason, one of the conversations that we always have with these folks is, where are you going? Because there are definitely places that I would encourage them not to go. But that's a private conversation. There are definitely places inside of Bowling Green that I would not advise for you to go. Okay? But there are simultaneously a lot of great partnering churches that may do things a little bit different than we do. But our heart is the same. Our desire is the same. The message is the same, though the method may be different. Brothers and sisters, can, can you feel the tension that's happening inside of the church at Ephesus? Can you see that? And, that, and I know because, again, uh, we, we are, I don't know if this is a blessing or a curse, but here's the deal. If Mission Church ends, you can just go down the road. But this was not the case in the early church. Right now, I want you to think about the most spiritual, influential person in your life ever. I'm going to give you a minute. There you go. I want you to think about the, the most spiritual, influential person in your life. And imagine that you get a call um, from them tomorrow informing you that they have, have come to some new beliefs about Jesus or that they have denounced Christianity altogether. How would that affect you? If my mama was to call me this afternoon and tell me that she no longer believed, do you understand the jolt to my system that that would be? If my grandfather, John Piper, was to call and was to tell me that he had a new, enlightened version of who Jesus is, or a new understanding of what sin is, think about that person and think about that call. Because that's what's happening inside the church at Ephesus. They're getting messages and telegrams and divisive gossiping and leading astray from the most godly people they know. Think that'd make you question your faith?
See, brothers and sisters, they prayed a prayer. These antichrists did. These antichrists, they they were baptized. And if you're like me, maybe they were baptized like ten times. Because some of us need it that much. These antichrists within the church at Ephesus, they 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 were members. They they were well versed. They had maybe cultural doctorate degrees in the Bible and in the Old Testament. They knew their stuff. They knew their church history. They knew their original languages. Maybe they had doctorate degrees from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. These are people who knew the stuff. They they knew all of this stuff, and yet they left the church. They left the community of the church, and, and what did that do? It revealed, according to the Scripture, because they left the community of the church, it revealed that they were never Christians to begin with. And that is not left up to interpretation. That's what the Bible says. That's why at Mission we take church membership very seriously. Your salvation may depend on it. I'm not saying that I'm not saying at all that you're saved by membership. You can't stand before God when they go, "Woo, I got the membership card." I'm not saying that. But the whole idea behind church membership is to say, from everything that we can tell, these people are believers in Jesus. That they're a part of our faith family. That they love Jesus. and They, they love their wives. They love their daughters. They love their sons. They, they love this community. They are about this mission, about this vision. They're going to give them their time, talent, and treasures. But best of what we can tell, these people are followers of Jesus. And likewise, when we have to remove them from the church, it's not determining that they aren't saved, but it is saying very seriously that we do not know anymore. That we don't know. Why is it serious? Because it's serious to the Scripture. It's serious to what the Bible says. I mean, do you guys get that? They left us. And what does it reveal? They were never a part of us. We're going to come back to that next week. This is a tough truth to swallow, isn't it? Because if you've had any time in church for any period of time, there are people whom used to sit next to you that no longer do. And in some cases, they've moved on to Bible-believing churches. They're, they're faithfully following after Jesus. But in other cases, it's revealed that they, they weren't Christians at all. And that's sad. It is tough. It is not something to gloat in. But it is also something that we should not make excuses for people I know of mamas, good-intentioned mamas, whose sons will tell you, I do not believe in Jesus, I am not a Christian, and mama is at home believing the complete opposite of their kid. And I know why. I know what they want. But it's not the Scripture. He goes on to say here, because John is is writing here to provide assurance for them, isn't he? In verse 20 and following, it says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Also, let let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And, And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. 
So as we go forth in the next several weeks and and looking at all of these passages again from from different aspects and different angles, as we provide warning, we also need to simultaneously understand that, that yes, the Scripture here is warning many of us who have gathered here today, and yet simultaneously for others of us who are, are, are in Christ... Is, is reminding us of, of that we don't need some new knowledge about Jesus and about sin, but we have everything that we need in the person and work of Jesus and that we have everything that we need inside the Scripture. And so though he is warning these hurting people, these broken people whose loved ones, whose brothers, sisters, neighbors who have left the church revealing that they did not know Jesus at all, he is simultaneously saying to those remaining, you know the truth. Don't forget it. So for today, some thoughts of application to pursue through or to think through. The first one is this. Instead of denying Jesus, pursue Jesus through sound doctrine. See, brothers and sisters, we've been saying over the last several weeks that assurance, um, two ways of knowing that we have assurance of salvation is through gospel doctrine and gospel culture. And we see that inside this passage once again. Instead of denying Jesus, pursue Jesus through sound doctrine. Do you know and love the biblical Jesus? And really, do you know him? Maybe you've just heard about him. But do you really... Excuse me. Now everyone's awake. Do you know and love this biblical Jesus? See, some of us don't because if the Mormon of the Jehovah's Witness was to show up our door, everything that they would spew to us would sound really good and really right. Mission Church, may we consider a pursuit of Jesus through sound doctrine. Secondly, instead of departing from the local church, Devote yourself to the local church. And I'm not just talking about the gathering on the Sunday morning. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been at this long enough. March the 4th, I start my 19th year of pastoral ministry. And there's some things that I've seen, some patterns in people's lives. When people start to slowly miss and disappear, it typically reveals something about their hearts. Oftentimes, it's what they believe to be hidden sin. And yet it is not hidden to the Lord. I'm not saying necessarily that they are non-Christians. It it may later down the road reveal that they are non-Christians. But the hardest thing for many of us to get motivated to do is to do something that the church is trying to get us to do. In our situation, cash as the, the worst day out of seven days is always Sunday morning. How many marital spats, disagreements happen on a Sunday morning on your way to church or on the Saturday before? Isn't it crazy that the sniffles that would never keep us out of work will keep us out of the Sunday morning gathering? Or the prayer time. Or the missional community. Do we not see the coincidence that this is the ploy and the work of the enemy? This is all that spirit of the Antichrist. We need to devote ourselves to the local church and stop dating it. 
This is more than just attendance on, a, again, a Sunday morning gathering. That's the, the easiest thing to do. And yet we're, we're conditioned even, even by, this is just what we do, especially in the South, as we attend the Sunday morning gathering, as long as there is a time that fits us the best. That's the easiest thing. The, the hardest thing to do within the life of the church is really to devote yourself to it. And yet, that's the calling that we see here is to pursue Jesus instead of denying him and instead of departing from the local church to devote ourselves to the local church. We must stop dating the church. I love this book. This little book was given to me several years ago. We use it inside of our membership and I don't normally read from the stage on Sunday morning, so I'm going to ask. I know it's really hard when somebody starts reading from the book for you to wander and think about you know, dragons and unicorns and leprechauns and all those sorts of things. I'm going to ask that you focus. Listen to what this says. Can you spot a church dater? Today we live in an increasingly fragmented world. That mindset has influenced the way we approach our relationship with God. Faith is a solo pursuit. These days, experts describe America as a nation of believers, but not belongers. And the numbers confirm it. According to the pollster George Barna, while the adult population in the United States increased by 15% during the 90s, the number of adults who either attend, didn't attend church or only went on a major holiday increased by 92%. Can you spot what I'm calling a church dater? Here's a quick profile. Do you see one or more of these characteristics in yourself? Stay with me, please. This has a point. First, our attitude toward the church tends to be uh, me-centered. We go for what we can get, social interactions, programs, or activities. The driving question is, what can church do for me? A second sign of church dater is being independent. We go to church because that's what Christians are supposed to do. But we are careful to avoid getting involved too much, especially with people. We don't pay too much attention to God's larger purpose for us as a vital part in specific church families. So we go through the motions without really investing ourselves. Most essentially, a church dater is, tends to be critical. We are short on allegiance and, and quick to find fault in our church. We treat church with a consumer mentality, looking for the best product for the price for our Sunday morning. As a result, we're fickle and not invested for the long term, like a lover with a wandering eye, always on the hunt for something better. Take my friend Nathan. He attended two churches on Sundays, one because he liked their music, the other because he liked the preaching, and his involvement in both went no deeper. At the first church, he'd slip out just before the last song would wound up um, and drive to the other church five minutes away. He then factored in a time to stop by McDonald's and get an McMuffin. He timed it so that he'd walked into the second church just as the pastor started preaching. I guess you would say Nathan was too timing. If you see yourself in any of these descriptions, I want you to hear from this former church dater. God has something better for you and me than dating the church. What practiced daters like Nathan and Jack don't realize is that what they assume is working for their personal gain is actually resulting in serious loss for themselves and others. I'm writing this book because I want you to share, get this, I want you to share with other sincere followers of Christ the profound blessings that come with living a life committed to the church. I I want you to catch a glimpse of the beauty of God's plan for the church in each believer's life and the unimaginable power that could be unleashed though even one generation or through one generation embracing that plan. And, and why shouldn't that generation be ours? But before we look at the benefits of commitment, consider the lost, what is lost when the church dating becomes a way of life. The plain fact is, when we resist passion and commitment to our relationship with the church, everyone gets cheated out of God's best. You cheat yourself, you cheat the church community, you cheat the world. I hope that you have the courage to stay with me because the biblical insights we're looking for in this book have the potential to bring tremendous change for the better in your life. And what a powerful, powerful truth. I love this book. I love what I just read to you. There's so much oozing from 1 John inside of that statement and inside of this verse that we just read that I've read inside of this, this book. But here's what I need you to get right here. Please listen to me. 
the guy who wrote that book is no longer a Christian. He was the pastor of a mega church. And today he's not a Christian. In 2019, he got a divorce from his wife. He left his wife, his kids. He left the mega church he was the pastor of. Left his wife, left his kids, does not believe anymore. And at one time, for about a period of 10 years, was one of the most recognized Christians on the planet. Many of us based our dating as a Christian based on what this man had said at one time. He's pulled all of these books from the shelves. And now he, gay, he, he marches in gay pride parades. He did not know whom he wrote of. He did not understand the church of which he pastored. He did not understand the very language and the truth of what he was saying. Even in this book, a book I've given to people, we quote it in our membership class. And yet he is lost. He's lost. Do not forsake it. You say things like, I've been hurt, or I don't have the time, or I'm an introvert, and that allows me just to sneak in and sneak out. Blah, 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 blah. Get over yourself. Your pastor's an introvert. I'm actually an INFJ, which is the most rarest personality type on the planet. Go figure. I'm weird. But my work, my travel, my marriage, my kids. When we begin to distance ourselves from the word and from the church, it becomes easier and easier. And the world becomes that much more attractive. Do you know this Jesus? The biblical Jesus. And do you belong, belong to the church? Let's pray.